Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! If you're visiting with us, we're right in the middle of a series entitled Alive and Well. Uh, We are actually going through the book of James, and the premise is simply this. We want your faith to be alive and well. We don't want you to be hanging on spiritually by life support, but we want you to be living and growing and active in your faith walk with God. And today's sermon is entitled, The World's Smallest Troublemaker. James is going to talk to us about how we use our words, how we talk to people, what we say about people, even the tone in which we speak to other people with. He's going to explain to us this morning that we have great power with our words. There's great power with our tongues. Uh, I don't know when the last time you had a physical was, but if, if you were to go to the doctor this week to, to have a, a physical, one of the first things that the doctor is going to ask you to do is to stick out your tongue. And they're going to look at your tongue, and that's with good reason. Because physically speaking, a healthy tongue has a warm pinkish color. And anything different might indicate an underlying health condition. So different discoloration or patterns would indicate things like diabetes, like cancer, thrush, strep throat, vitamin deficiency. And so our tongues say a lot about us physically. Our tongues also say a lot about us spiritually. And this is where James is going to land today. Uh, So to begin with, we're not even going to start out with James. I want to take you to the book of Luke Chapter 6, verse 45, this is red letter, this is Jesus. Jesus simply says this, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And here's here's the money phrase, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what Jesus just said here is that our words, our speech is an actual indication of what's going on inside of our hearts. Man, there is so much power in our words. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And so think about that. It was with the tongue that Caesar would send armies to conquer the world. It was with the tongue that Adolf Hitler incited mass genocide of the Jewish people. It was with the tongue that Wesley preached to thousands, that Winston Churchill inspired a nation to stand firm, that Billy Graham brought the gospel to millions. And so the tongue can be an instrument of great peace, great inspiration, but it can also be an instrument of great destruction and great devastation. And that's why we have to learn to tame our tongues, to master our speech. So think about it. How many times have you said something and then regretted it? Anybody in here? Right. I think we've all done that. We've said something and then maybe we've driven home and we're like, oh my goodness, what did I just say? I can't believe I just said that. I mean, how many times have you spoken out 
and wish that you could take those words back. So many people that I know and I've counseled over the years have so many regrets about the things that they've said to another human being. So before we get into the book of James, I want to talk to you real quickly about the sins of the tongue. So when we say things like, we need to tame our tongue, we need to learn to hold our words, we have to be slow to speak, what does that mean? It means that we have to be very careful because it's extremely easy to sin with our words, to sin with our speech. And so before we actually get into James today, I want to offer you the seven deadly sins of the tongue. These aren't the only sins of the tongue, but these are some of the biggest ones. Number one, I think at the top of the list is gossip. I mean, at the very, very top, uh, gossip is very powerful and very destructive. Gossip is what sells magazines. Gossip is what keeps you on Facebook. That's, it's called clickbait for a reason. I'll just click on this. This is real news. This is a real story. And we're not immune to it. So a good indication that you might have a problem with gossip is if you start conversations like this. Have you heard about or did you know that or I love this one. Keep this to yourself. But I heard. Okay. Or, or even this one. I don't believe it's true. If you don't believe it's true, why are you saying it, right? But I heard, or even, well, I wouldn't tell you, except I know that it's not going to go any further. All right? And, and even Christians struggle with gossip. But we preface it with something that makes it okay to gossip. We, we preface with something that makes it holy. Here's what we say. Well, I'm only telling you this so that you can pray for this person. Right? And, and it, then it makes it okay uh, to, to, to gossip. It reminds me of a story I heard about a preacher who was at a small church in a small town, and he had this woman at his church that was notorious for gossiping, and she turned her gossip on him. And one day she felt convicted, and she came and she asked the preacher for forgiveness. And he said, of course I forgive you. He said, but I want to ask you to do one thing for me. I want you to take your pillow up on the hill that overlooks the town. I want you to cut it open, and I want you to let the feathers just blow in the wind. Well, she thought it was strange, but she did it. She took her pillow up on the hill. She cut it open, and the feathers floated all across the whole town. She went to the preacher, and she, and she said, all right, I did what you said. He said, all right, I, I want you to do one more thing for me. I want you to go back through town and pick up all those feathers. You see, gossip is so destructive, and we can't take all those words back once they're released. We can't undo the damage that we've caused in other people's spirits and in their lives. So, uh, Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. And some of us have lived that. We know it's true. A second deadly sin of the tongue is innuendo. Innuendo. It's a close cousin of gossip. It's like gossip in that it spreads destruction, but it insinuates something and leaves the listener to draw their own conclusions. So innuendo kind of goes like this. 
Well, you know, I saw the two of them together, and they did seem awful close. I'm not saying anything. And then you just leave it there, and you let that person, you're not gossiping. You're, you're just starting, you're priming the conversation for that person to run wild uh, in, in their minds. Psalm 52, 2 through 4 says, You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Number three is flattery. Flattery. Now, gossip, let me ask you if you, if you agree with this statement. Gossip is saying behind a person's back what you would never say to their face. Agreed? That's usually what gossip is. Let me say that again. Gossip is saying behind the person's back what you would never say to their face. Flattery is saying to a person's face what you would never say behind their back. Flattery is used to get something that you want, right? And so for some of you, it's day after day telling your boss how lovely they look in that tie because you want that promotion. You don't really think they look lovely in that tie. You just want to make some deposits. You want to flatter them so when promotion time comes around, uh, they'll remember you. And scriptures warn us repeatedly, repeatedly against those who use flattery. They're destructive people. They use their tongues to say something nice to get what they want. Paul addresses this in the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 18. He says this, For such people, those who use flattery, are not serving our Lord Christ, but they're serving their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. The fourth deadly sin of, of the tongue, I believe, is criticism. Now, I'm a, I'm a preacher, so I never get criticized. And, and, and I know that some of you in here think you have the spiritual gift of criticism. I mean, it's your duty to call me every week and tell me what's wrong with this church or what's wrong with me or what's wrong with people. But I'm telling you, that's, that's the wrong gift of the Spirit there. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure, with the same standard that you use, it will be measured to you. So criticism is judgment. And it's been said that opinions are like noses. Everyone has them and most of them smell. Now, we live in America. Dramatic pause. We live in America, which means we excel at criticism. I mean, we are experts. Social media has, has really magnified that. Ours has become a very critical society that we live in. I mean, think about it. We pay people big money to criticize movies, music, arts, politics, sports. We are a nation of critics, and I think we are very, very good at it as Americans. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a story, it's an event uh, in the Gospels, where Jesus is preaching, and there's at least 5,000 people there. Uh, he's preaching for a while. Everyone gets hungry. There's no grocery store. There, there's no supermarket. Nobody has any food except this little boy. He's got a few fish and, and, and a little bit of bread. Remember that story? 
I often think what it would look like if Jesus did that in modern day America. Okay, I think, I think it would look much different than it did when he fed the 5,000 back then because we are skilled at the art of criticism. We would be like, what? There's no lemon for this fish? There's no butter for this bread? I'm going to write a bad review on Yelp right now. No one will ever eat here again. Because right? we're good at it. And so we have got to constantly and consistently fight against criticizing other people. Number five is sarcasm. Now, this is where I'm preaching to a big fat mirror because I have a big problem with a sharp, sarcastic tongue. It is a huge struggle of mine. I have a quick wit and I can get sarcastic very quickly, especially if you want to back me in a corner. Sarcasm and sarcastic humor can be very destructive. And if I could just for a second, I, um, I want to say especially for the men in here. We can get sarcastic very quickly. And it's nice to be funny, but never at someone else's defense or expense, excuse me. Ephesians 5, 4 says this, Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. The sixth deadly sin of the tongue, I believe, is just overall meanness. You ever been around a person that's just mean with their words, their speech? They're just, they're just mean. They're verbally abusive. They're, uh, they, they, they bully you verbally. They bully you with their words. I mean, meanness is, is always taking the negative, pessimistic view of anything. It's unkindness. It's ungratefulness. It's unfairness. And some people use their tongue to create a cloud of misery over every circumstances and every person they meet. Some of you are married to that person, and I'm sorry. I mean, I really am. You, you need daily prayer to, to endure that. Just, just overall meanness. Not breathing life into a person. Not building bridges, but just burning people down. Overall meanness. And then number seven, boasting. Boasting. Listen what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast about their wisdom. You're smart. Good for you. Or the strong boast about their strength. You've got big muscles. Great. Or the rich boast about their riches. You've got a lot of money. Whoop-de-doo. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So boasting is, is, is exactly what James is going to claim that, that the tongue does. It's very small, but it makes great boasts. So those are the seven deadly sins of the tongue. Now you know those aren't the only sins of the tongue. We haven't even talked about lying or profanity or slander or vo verbal bullying or false witness. There are so, so many things that we can sin with in the arena of our speech. So the tongue is the smallest little troublemaker in our lives. The way we talk reveals what we actually think. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the use of the tongue either crowns or curses the community of people that we encounter every day. How we talk to people, with people, and about people is a very good gauge to our spiritual health inside our speech reveals what kind of person we are and it's not just what we say 
It's often how we say it. All right, so we're going to go to the book of James now. And uh, James is going to, in chapter 3, offer us three classifications that reveal the three powers that we hold with our speech, with our tongue. And it was a long introduction, so I'm going to get right into it. Number one is this. Um, with our tongue, we have the power to direct. The power to direct. Now, you, you may have heard the phrase and not know where it came from, loose lips sink ships. Loose lips sink ships is actually an American English idiom, meaning beware of your unguarded talk. It was used in World War II propaganda posters, and it said, listen, be careful who you're talking to, what you're saying, because those, you may reveal some secrets that might make it to the enemy, and they might sink one of our ship, and we might lose all of our shoulders. So be very, very careful with what you say, because with our speech, we can direct the course of lives, either good or bad. Listen to the word of James. In James chapter 3, picking up in verse 1, he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Let me just stop right there and say this in passing. As a preacher, as a pastor, there are a few scriptures that kind of sometimes keep me up at night. This is one of them right here. Because what James is saying is, hey, Kevin, you, you stand up there and spout off your words every week from that pulpit. You're going to be judged harsher than everybody else by what you teach. So you better make sure you know what you're teaching. You better make sure it's, you preach in love, you preach in truth, because there's going to be a greater strictness for you. Keeps me up sometimes. He says, for we all stumble in verse 2 in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They look large and strong, but are driven and driven by strong winds, but they're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot or the captain directs. And so in this passage, when James talks about our speech has the power to direct, he's actually using two word pictures here. He's using a horse bit and the rudder of a ship. All right, now think about a horse for a second. Horses are these huge, powerful animals. But you can direct this huge, powerful animal by this little bit, this little metal piece you put in the horse's mouth that puts pressure points on the horse so it knows where to go, where you want it to go. So it's time for total honesty here with you this morning. I think horses are beautiful, awesome, majestic creatures, but I like them at a distance. I'm afraid of horses. I'm not afraid of much in this world, but horses scare me. And they scare me because I had a traumatic event happen when I was a little boy. I got thrown off the horse um, and almost got stepped on my head. It was just a, a, a bad experience. And so from that time when I was like seven, eight years old, all up through teenage years, I, I didn't want anything to do with horses. And then I met a girl who liked horses. And she wanted to go horseback riding. Of course, yeah, baby, I love horses. 
So we went to this little ranch where you had 10 or 12 people, you know, and, and, they, and they would get you in a corral, and they would take you on this guided trip up a mountain, you know, it was a beautiful thing in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, so, so we went, there were about uh, 10 people th that day, and we started down the trail, and there were about five people in front of me. Everybody's horse was just, they were walking the line, man. My horse was going everywhere, left and right, and I was like, what are you doing, you crazy beast? You know, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. We got to a creek. And the first five horses went across the creek, no problem. My horse stopped in the middle of the creek and decided it wanted to lay down, okay? And so I, I'm screaming up to the, to the lady in the front, a little help here. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So she had to get off her horse, come walk into the creek. And, and she said, hey, don't be afraid to show this horse who's boss. She said, that's why they have reins in a bit. And she gave me a crash course right there in the creek on how to use the bit and how to manipulate the horse's mouth to make it do what I wanted to do. I, I don't say that the rest of the day went great because I was on a horse, uh, but it, it went okay. And then afterwards that girl broke up with me, so I guess it wasn't so great. Anyway, these powerful animals are controlled by this just little tiny bit. And James says, listen, the course of your life can be controlled just by your speech, just by the things you say and the way you say it to people. He moves from that word picture and he starts talking about this huge massive ship that's steered by just a little bitty rudder. And I don't have to explain, you know what that means. Huge ship steered by a tiny rudder. It directs the ship where to go. So think about this for a second. Both the horse bit and the rudder of a ship have to overcome contrary forces. The, the bit must overcome the wild nature of the horse, the horse wanting to do what it wants to do. The ship or the rudder must fight the winds and the waves and the current. And so our human tongue also has to overcome these contrary forces. We have, before we were cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, this old fleshly nature inside of us. And it makes us want to sin. It makes us want to not be slow to speak, just to blurt things out as soon as they come into our mind. And we've got to learn to control that. There are circumstances, the waves and the winds and the storms of life, that make us want to say things that we ought not say. The bit and the rudder have the power to direct, which means they have the power to affect other people's lives. And the words we speak have the power to affect other people's lives around us. We've got to take control of our words, much like a cowboy takes control of a horse or a captain takes control of a ship. That's why David says this in Psalm 141.3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Man, if we would pray that prayer every day, just that prayer, do you know how drastically our life would change? Never underestimate the guidance you give by the words you speak and the words you don't speak. Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman at the well. He just had a conversation with her and her life was turned upside down, as was her whole town. Peter preached at Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved just like that to salvation. Never underestimate the words that you speak. On April 21st, 1885, a man named Edward Kimball went into a shoe store and there he shared the gospel in Boston 
to a young man named Dwight L. Moody. And he led Dwight L. Moody to Christ with his words. The result, one of the greatest American evangelists of all times, whose ministry still continues today. Man, the tongue has such power to direct in the right or the wrong way. Number two, our tongues, our words, don't only have the power to direct, they also have the power to destroy. Look what James says in verses 5 through 8. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze with such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed. And has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What James is saying is, listen, we can destroy people with our words. The words we speak with our tongues can create life or death. Remember as a kid you used to say this when somebody would pick on you. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But what? Words will never hurt me. That's an absolute lie. Words can devastate your life long after broken bones are healed. Did you know that? You can carry those for an entire lifetime, as many of you well know. And so in this portion, for destruction, James gives us two more word pictures here. He uses fire and a wild animal. Now think about fire for a second. Fire can be good, yeah? Especially if if you live off grid. Fire is good. You use it for light, you use it for heat, you use it to cook. But if fire is not under control, it can be absolutely devastating. It can be destructive. It can start with a small spark and grow to destroy an entire city. Allegedly, on October 8th, 1871, Mrs. O'Leary's cow, You always blame the cow. My house, we blame the dog, but they blame the cow. Kicked a lantern over in the barn, and it started a small fire. Just one little lantern, and that fire spread, and eventually it destroyed the city of Chicago. Over 100,000 people were left without homes. 17,500 businesses were destroyed. 300 people died. It cost the city over $400 million dollars. I mean, it absolutely destroyed the city. One small land in a barn destroyed a whole city. Our words can start fires if we feed into those fires. Look what Proverbs 26 says, verses 20 through 21. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, that's a gossiper, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Fire burns. Fire hurts. Our words can burn and hurt people. Our words can break hearts and ruin reputations. That's why Paul encourages, encourages us to do this in Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. James says not only is the tongue like a fire, but it's like a wild animal. It's restless. It can't be ruled. It's hard to to bring under submission. It seeks 
its prey, it pounces, and it kills. We can absolutely kill a person with our words. Psalm 64, 3 says this. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. You ever done that? You, you know you've got something to say to somebody, and so you start sharpening your, I'm going to tell, ah, this is what I'm going to say, and you're going to make sure it comes out sharp. you got your arrow sharpened. You are ready with your words to go to battle. Listen, the tongue is a powerful weapon. Think about the things in life that you may sharpen. Knives, swords, axes, tongues. Why do we sharpen these items? Because we want them to cut better, faster. We want them to do more damage as easily as possible. And so we say things like, well, you wait till I see that person. I mean, I've actually been in my truck driving, rehearsing how I'm going to tell somebody off. Anybody ever done that before? Oh, when I get there, I'm going to tell my boss this. And he's, hey, nice tie, buddy, right? We, but, but, you know, we, we rehearse these things that we're, we're going to say. You know, you can be cut by a knife and that wound's going to heal, but wounds from the tongue can easily be reopened. It just takes another careless word to just pull the scab off and reopen those wounds. But before we move on to the next point, I, I want to address those of you in here who are in the stage of life I'm in, who have children in your house. Some of you may have grandchildren in your house that you're, you're helping to raise. I don't know. But I want to speak directly to you. I want you to understand that God has entrusted us with these tiny little hearts. They're still growing. They're still learning. Uh, there's still some foolishness in their, in, in their youth. There's some folly. And we've got to be, as parents, very, very careful with the words we use when we speak to our children and when we speak to our, our teenagers. We need to be care very careful with the words we use toward them, the volume we use and the tone that we use. Your child needs words of affirmation. Our, our children need to be built up and not constantly burnt down with our words. Man, I, I hope you feel the weight of that as, as a primary caretaker of that child. God has entrusted you with those hearts to shepherd. We got to be very, very careful because you can absolutely destroy a child for life with your words. I do counseling all the time with people who've just, they've been, they've been spoken harsh to their whole life and, and it's affected them greatly. It's affected the course of their lives. Their self-esteem, their self-worth, their confidence is absolutely destroyed because of words of the past. So the tongue has the power to direct, the power to destroy, and then finally James says our tongues also have the power to delight, to delight. Look what he says in James 3, 9 through 12. He says, with it, our, our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Let, let me just stop right here. What James is saying is, listen, we were meant to praise and glorify God with the words we speak and with the words we sing. And then James comes in and reminds us that some of us, with the very same tongue that we 
speak praises, that we sing worship songs, we leave here, and then we curse the very creation that, that, of God that we just finished praising. So we essentially say, well, God, we love you, but man, this, these people you created, I can't stand them. Like, God, we don't even understand why you love these people. And we use our tongues to cut them down, chop them at the knees. Oh, but we love you, God. We'll praise you, but we're not going to praise these people made in your image. James tells us we can't have it both ways. We can't have blessings and curses come from the same mouth. It doesn't work. He elaborates verse 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? You know what happens when you try to mix a, a fresh water source with a salt water source? The entire fresh water source is ruined. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No, it bears figs, right? Or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And so again, James is giving us two word pictures here. He's giving us a picture of a fountain and a picture of a tree. Now the fountain, of course, provides cool water that, that we need to stay alive. In eastern countries, even today, if you have a presence of a freshwater fountain, it's a great blessing to your village. That is where everyone meets. We still do it today at work. We just call it the water cooler, right? But water is used for drinking in these villages, washing, cooking, farming, and a host of other things. We have the power to delight people that we come in contact with every day. I'm not talking about flattery. I'm not just talking about saying things to say it, but just really speaking life into people. Scripture talks about this over and over again. Let me just stay in the book of Proverbs and read you three scriptures. Number one, Proverbs 18.4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a, bibbling, a bubbling brook. I love Psalm, or Proverbs 10.11. It says this. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And in Proverbs 13, 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Our words can be a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Water is life-giving. We have the power to breathe and to speak life into people. Peter Marshall, the former chaplain of the United States Senate, would always use this story, this illustration. I love this illustration. It's called The Keeper of the Spring. He would say there was a man that once lived high above an, an Austrian village along the eastern slopes of the Alps. And he had been, he'd been hired by the village. I'm going to try to stand up. This is driving me nuts. He, he'd been hired by the village um, to to manage the spring up top, the, 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 the pools of the water up top, so when they flowed down, they would have nice, clean water. He would take leaves out and remove silt and take branches out, uh, and, and it made the, the village pristine. It became a popular attraction. Swans floated on the crystal clear waters. You had picnickers gathering at the shores. You had businesses where they had a view of this beautiful waterway beyond description. Well, years passed, and one evening the city council got together for a meeting, and the city treasurer said, who is this keeper of the spring? Has anyone ever met this man? 
I mean, what are we paying this guy for? For all we know, he's up there doing nothing and he's just taking this check and he's laughing at us as he goes to the bank. I say we, we, we fire this guy. We don't need this guy up here. We don't need to pay him to do that. Well, they all agreed. And so the keeper of the spring was fired. Well, for several weeks, nothing changed. The village went about with its business, but then fall came. And the trees began to shed their leaves, and small branches snapped off and fell into the pools of the stream, hindering the flow of water down to the valley. One afternoon, someone noticed a slight yellowish-brown tint in the water. A couple days later, the water was much darker. Within a week or two, it was covered with a slimy film. Sections along the, 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 the banks had this foul odor. The swans left the the village. The tourists left the village. The economy was in serious peril. And likewise, villagers were getting sick because they were drinking contaminated water. An emergency meeting of the village council was held, and after much discussion, they realized they had an error in judgment. So they hired back the keeper of the spring. And within a few weeks, the beautiful stream came back to life. The swans and the visitors gradually returned as did the vitality and the well-being of that little village in the Alps. You know, I think what James is telling us here is, you need to take care of your spring, because it comes from here, and it flows out of here. And if we don't, with purpose, watch our words, tame our tongue, be slow to speak. We're never going to delight anyone. We're going to be bridge burners, not bridge builders. Then he uses the tree for illustration. I don't have a lot of time. We're running out of time here, but you, you know what trees do. They bear fruit. We eat fruit. It sustains life. Trees provide shade and, and life-giving fruit that's sweet. My prayer for you is that your words are sweet and life-giving. They, provi they provide nourishment for people's souls. We're, we're on day eight of an initiative that we're doing here called ARC 31. If you weren't here last week or uh, you, you know, don't follow us on Facebook or subscribe to us on email, it's a simple initiative. Uh, we're, we're asking you to do what Jesus commanded you to do. Just find someone to be kind to. Just acts of random kindness. And our challenge, we're calling it ARC 31, is 31 acts of random kindness in 31 days. We've got stories coming in. We're posting them. I appreciate those of you sharing some of your experiences with you and with your children. Our, our, our Elevate Kids are doing this as well. We want you to keep those stories coming in. But, but this week, I want you to, to hone that in. And I, I want to challenge you specifically uh, to, to do an act of random kindness, one a day for the next seven days, with your words. Just with your words. I'm not talking about flattery. Uh, but I'm talking about if you think something good, say it, right? So how many times have you thought, men, oh, man, when you look at your wife, oh, you look beautiful. Well, you think it, but you never say it. She doesn't know you're thinking it. So when you think it, tell her. Look around and, and find something good to say about somebody. Uh, this is not a hard thing to do. Uh, I knew I wanted to do this ARC 31 challenge, so two weeks before the challenge started, I already started because I wanted to see what kind of um, 
conversations would happen and, and, and how it would work. Because if I'm challenging you to do it, I want to do it too. And so several weeks ago, I was in Ingalls. I had my, my son Calvin with me. And I was going to the checkout. And there was this young man. He was probably in high school. But man, he had this beautiful head of hair. He looked like Thor. Like, it was this long, blonde, flowing hair, right? And I was jealous a little bit because I'm gray and thinning. And uh, so we're, we're checking out. He's bagging our groceries. And, uh, and I just, I thought, man, that, that dude's got a nice head of hair. I know that's weird a little bit. But I was like, hey, man, I just want to tell you, 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 your hair is awesome. You know what happened? He immediately smiled. He said, man, it's taken me two years for it to, to grow out and look this way. And I was like, well, man, you're doing something right. It looks good. He's probably used to old gray-haired men going, you long-haired hippie. But, you know, to have one say, your hair is nice. All right. And the, the net result of that is now every time I go back into Ingalls, the conversation continues. Just simply opened a door with my words by an, a, an act of random kindness. Now, use your heads a little bit, okay? Like men, you don't want to be like hiding out in the radishes at the grocery store and then a woman comes by and you're like, I love that blouse, right? I mean, you got you to gotta, you gotta kind of use, use your head a little bit here. You don't want to get yourself into trouble. And I'm, again, I'm not talking about saying something nice just to say something nice. I'm talking about looking around and seeing that we can really delight somebody with our words. Speak with grace. Find someone to encourage. Find someone to build up. Words of affirmation. So much power. Just with our words. Cheryl Pruitt, when she was four years old, used to hang around her father's small grocery store. And almost daily, the milkman would come in the store, and she lacked a little bit of confidence when she was little. And he would always greet her with these words. How's my little Miss America? At first she giggled, but eventually she became comfortable with it. She even liked it a little. Soon the milkman's greeting became her childhood fantasy, then a teenage dream. Then finally it became a goal. And in 1980, Cheryl Pruitt stood on the stage in Atlantic City, New Jersey and was crowned Miss America. Now the milkman probably never realized that his greeting to little Cheryl Pruitt would be taken seriously and one day become a reality. But in the same way, we may not realize that our words have power to influence people in a positive or a negative way. If we say encouraging things to other people, they'll be more likely to live up to those words of encouragement. But if we cut people down and say discouraging things, it may lead them to despair and negative behaviors. I put this in this morning so it's not going to come up on the screen, but Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. I'll leave you with one final word from James over in chapter 1. Here's what James says, verse 26. If anyone thinks that he or she is religious and does not bridle his tongue, her tongue. They deceive their hearts. And this person's religion is worthless. As your pastor, man, I want you to be godly. I want you to shine for Jesus. But listen, don't ignore what the Lord just said right there to you. 
The Lord is saying, if we cannot master our tongues, James says that our faith, no matter how good it looks, it's worthless. It's not alive and well. It's dead. And I know some of us in here are reaping the pain and destructions that our tongues have created over the years with friends and loved ones. And some of you are in here bearing the scars of someone else's harsh, unkind, unloving words. But listen, friends, nothing is beyond God's healing hand. You cannot master your tongue, but God can. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.